Cue the fancy intro music. I'm Lisa Robin Young, and this is Creative Freedom, empowerment for creative entrepreneurs, where can-do inspiration and how-to education collide to help you own your dreams without selling your soul. Creative Freedom helps you end the hustle, define success on your own terms, and build a profitable, sustainable business doing more of what you love and less of what you don't. I'm so excited you're here with me today. Let's get started. If you're anything like me, you've probably heard the old saw, there are riches in niches more times than you care to count. One listener recently asked me about this. Some internet marketing guru advised them to get super specific in their target market. Something like 30-year-old single moms in Peoria, Illinois that love fly fishing on Saturdays and watching Game of Thrones. I mean, super (laughs) specific. And the logic was that the more specific you are, the easier it is to stand out in the market. And look, I am all for standing out in your market. And I think that everyone needs to have some kind of target audience to make it easier to reach the right people for your business. Back in season two, we talked about how to know if you need to develop a customer avatar, which is related to niching, but not exactly the same. So yeah, I think niching to some degree is important, but Here's the pickle. If you're a creative entrepreneur, there's also an emotional investment that goes into your great work. I mean, what if you can't stand working with 30-year-old single moms? What if there aren't enough single moms in Peoria to sustain your business? What if they don't like working with you? Can you see how getting super specific before you've had a chance to test your market can be problematic for a creative entrepreneur? That's why. This week, I'm sharing with you my eight-step process for finding and testing a potential niche. Niche finding is a lot more experimental than most gurus would lead you to believe. I've used this approach for years, and if you're willing to do the work, it can serve you well. Are you ready? Let's begin. Step one, identify the core values or market problem using the five whys process. Problem is the term commonly used to identify the issue that your offering solves. So if you're a coach or serving B2B, business to business, common problems like income, expenses, and time savings are big pains you might be able to solve. If you're serving an individual or your offerings are B2C, business to consumer, then health, wealth, and time are three big problems that most humans are dealing with at some point or another. These are obvious problems to solve and help you find a niche pretty quickly. But for creatives, like musicians and artists, this idea of a problem can be challenging. And I've mentioned before that music or paintings, for example, aren't thought of as something to solve a problem or address a pain point. And even luxury goods, can pose niching challenges. Add to that the nature of tangible versus intangible offers. And if you sell a tangible product like a hammer or a purse, it's much easier to see the problem you can potentially solve. Intangible offers like coaching, consulting, or even performance art can be harder to see as a problem solver. But even with physical products, you may still have to dig a little deeper to get to the underlying issue that caused the problem in the first place. So rather than looking at a pain point or a problem, I suggest using the core values approach. 
It's a more effective way at discovering what motivates people to buy in the first place. When you home in on someone's core values and reflect them back to that person, you create resonance and they feel seen and understood. And that's a much better place to be coming from when you're making an offer. Being in alignment with their core values stimulates the know, like, and trust factor that we've talked about in previous episodes. So today we're going to reverse engineer your problem using the five whys technique. Linears are about to have a field day. Chaotics, stay with me. Back in 1980, an engineer working at Motorola introduced a concept called Six Sigma. It's a set of techniques and tools for process improvement primarily used in manufacturing. One of those tools is called Five Whys, W-H-Y-S, and is meant to get to the root problem of any cause, including why your clients buy from you. So it's a great tool that can be used on its own outside the original methodology. And I recommend it to my clients regularly when we're troubleshooting issues in their life and business. So essentially, Five Whys means you make a statement about an issue or problem, and then you ask the question why until you reach the root cause. The number five, however, is very arbitrary. Sometimes you can hit a core value or an underlying problem in fewer than five questions. And sometimes for more complex issues, you need to ask why much more than five times. So let's go back to our hammer offer. People generally buy a hammer because they need to drive a nail. That's your statement. So why do they need to drive the nail? If they're doing a roofing project, then a hammer might not work as well as a nail gun. On the other hand, a nail gun would be overkill and maybe even problematic for hanging a picture on the living room wall. So let's say they're hanging a picture. Why are they hanging a picture? Because it makes their home look more beautiful. Okay, so why do they want their home to be beautiful? Because beauty is important to them. Well, there you go. <laughs> you just discovered that they value beauty or Maybe they're hanging a picture because it's a family photo with sentimental value and they want to put it in a place of prominence. Well, why do they want to hang that family photo? Because they love their family. So there you go. You just discovered that they value family. As you've probably noticed, a person could be interested in your hammer or whatever you're offering for any number of reasons. Then if all you ever do is say, hammers for sale, get your red hot hammers here, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to connect more deeply with your ideal audience and create resonance. Once you get to a core value, you've struck a key problem or you've found the root cause of why potential clients might buy this offering from you. So now you can look at that quote unquote problem and see if it matters to you too. And this is a step a lot of businesses still don't have to care about. But as a creative entrepreneur, what matters to you is important to the way you do business. So if you're selling hammers and you value family more than beauty, you'll have a much easier time connecting to other people who value family. You'll be able to put that in your marketing messaging and really speak into the hearts and minds of your best customers. Now that doesn't mean people who value beauty won't buy from you. They might. But if you know that your niche values family like you do, then you can really play that up in your marketing messaging. And yes, you'll probably come up with multiple reasons why someone might buy from you, like we just did with the hanging picture example. Why would you want to hang a picture? To cover a hole, to display a family photo, to add beauty to a room. I'm sure there are others. When it comes to your offers, you come up with plenty of reasons why that will start to branch out, and that's fine. So start with one 
just one though, and work your way through it to the core value. And don't move on until you complete the five whys process for that reason. And then you can move to the next reason and the next reason and the next reason. Now, if you get stuck or just aren't sure about the core value, only then should you pick up another reason. Sometimes the reasons are entangled because maybe it's a beautiful picture of someone in the family and it happens to cover a hole in the wall too, okay? So this is when you might need to reach out to someone in your potential niche and ask for clarity. Don't try to do all of this in a vacuum. In fact, you can't because at some point you have to test your theory and we'll talk more about that in step seven. But don't be afraid to ask for help. If this is a new offering, you're gonna need to ask potential clients why they might buy it. If this is an established offering, ask past clients why they did buy it. Their answers may take you down a why path that you hadn't even considered. So continuing our hammer example, another reason people buy hammers is to remove a nail. So why would they need the nail removed? There could be any number of reasons. Let's say because they're fixing a door. Why does the door need fixing? Well, because somebody broke into their home and they want to secure the door again. In this case, they need a hammer because they value safety or security. So once you've got at least one core value, then you can move to the next step. Use the five wise worksheet that's included in this episode to find your customer's core values. Step number two, discover your people types. Using the core values that you've just uncovered, you can start shaping a profile of who might be ideal for this offering. The people that you think would get the best results or enjoy it the most, okay? Not everyone is your target market. If you've worked out multiple core values, so much the better because that can be useful in triangulating your ideal client. If you're a musician, for example, let's say your five wise exercise helped you identify the following core values for people that might buy your music. They value love, connection, relationships, and experiences. You could then compose a list of people types that demonstrate all of those core values. Who do you know, individuals, professions, or industries, that feature all of those core values? Perhaps event planners, certain restaurant owners, or love and relationship coaches. Maybe people like your best friend come to mind. While it's true that some event planners may value love, some may not. They may value saving money or beauty instead. The more core values you've established, the narrower your list of people types. So you can triangulate your niche by looking for people types that generally include all those values. That might cause you to narrow your field of event planners to a particular type, like wedding planners perhaps, or better yet, destination wedding planners. It's possible you'll still have a very wide field of people types to choose from, and that's okay, because we're gonna get more specific in step three, identify the income types. So using the people types that you've previously identified, which of those people types could actually afford to work with you? We've talked about pricing before. When you're trying to position yourself as someone other than the lowest cost provider, you can afford to be more generous and you have the freedom to be more selective about whom you work with. So look at the list we developed. Restaurant owners, wedding planners, relationship coaches, people like your best friend, okay? Which of those people types would you actually enjoy working with, okay? And those two questions may not have the same answer. So it's important that we ask the money question first. Who can afford you? 
Otherwise, you could find yourself working in an unprofitable or unsustainable environment or diluting your brand by working with the wrong kinds of clients just because they have the ability to pay. Your offering should be profitable and sustainable. Any people groups that don't fit on both lists need to be eliminated from this offering for now. That could change in the future if your values change or your pricing changes, and you'll definitely want to revisit this list in the future. But for now, trust your judgment about those people types. If they aren't a profitable and sustainable people group, eliminate them from your niche for now. For example, let's say restaurant owners can easily afford to pay your performance fee, but you've had enough bad experiences working in restaurants that you just don't want to work with them right now. Cool. Scratch them off the list for now. They may be a viable option later, but you're not in a space to deal with the drama and baggage that comes from those past experiences. On the other hand, maybe you've never worked with destination wedding planners who could easily afford your fees and might even fly you around the world to perform. It might be time to consider offering your services to them. If a people type can't afford your offering, that doesn't exclude them permanently. It only means you need to find other ways to be generous with them for now. Perhaps you can make your offering available on a conditional basis or a sliding scale, but not right now. You can't build your offering around an unprofitable niche or it will never cash flow properly. You can provide a profitable offering as a means of being generous or giving back once you've identified a way to make it profitable. Otherwise, you're spending money you don't have. Now, step four, do the gut check. Once you've narrowed your people types list, give it one last review. Check for anything you might have missed and give yourself a day or two to sit with this list to see if anybody else needs to be scratched off or added for now. It's easy to think that your offering is great for everyone, but it's not. Not everyone can afford it. Not everyone likes it. Not everyone likes you. Not everybody speaks your language. And not everybody understands why they need this. And you don't like working with everyone anyway. Get it? So take a day or two to call this list even further based on who you'd really like to work with and who you think could really benefit from your offering. I know you're in a hurry and I know you want this done like yesterday, but trust me, taking the time on the front end to really marinate on this list will give you enormous clarity for the long game. Step five, find them online. It's easy to say that your market is online, but the better question is, where are they hanging out online that you are able to reach them? With declining organic reach on nearly every social media platform, it's critical that you focus on places where your best audience can actually find you. Facebook and some private niche-specific forums don't make it easy for you to find your right people types unless you're willing to pay to advertise. And if you're still testing this niche, it might not be a good idea to blow your marketing budget on ads just yet. That said, don't write off Facebook completely. If you've already developed a following or are in one of the more active groups that features your people types, it might be a great place to start connecting. Now, yes, connection takes time. But remember, this is an experiment. You're still trying to figure out if this niche is viable for you. All the more reason that you don't want to plow a ton of money into it just yet. Begin by brainstorming likely places online that you can find and reach your chosen people types. Since social media and online locations change from year to year, 
Do your research and look for forums, blogs, and online communities where your people types can be found. Don't just say Instagram. Get specific. Stories, IGTV, specific hashtags. Those are the ways people find you on Instagram. Don't just say Facebook. Is it your Facebook Lives or someone else's? Specific groups or pages? Get clear on where they are so that you're not wasting a lot of time in the wrong places on social. Yes, some of those online places might be paid platforms or memberships. If you're certain that's where your best audience is and you can actually reach them in there, then it could be worth the investment. And remember that you don't have to do this alone. Consider asking your network and people you know that might be able to reach your audience on your behalf. For example, let's say you have a colleague that's a member of a private Facebook group for interior decorators. You might not be able to join the group, but she might be willing to share your offering for you. If you're a fine artist with an online show coming up, this could be a great opportunity for her to share you with her circle of influence. Your network may not always be able to help, but it's still worth asking. Brainstorm all the possible locations your niche might be hanging out online, and then call the list to eliminate the places that you or your network can't currently reach. Step six, find them offline. Second verse, same as the first, only this time you're going to brainstorm likely places that you can find and reach your chosen people types in the offline world. Do your research and look for offline communities, hangouts, service groups, associations, and other offline locations where your people types can be found. Also, consider your peers, your network, and anybody you know that might be able to reach them on your behalf. For example, Let's say you have a sister that's in a book club with an interior designer. You're not big into book clubs, so you might ask her to introduce you. You could also find out about any area events for interior designers or start your own if there's enough demand for it. One colleague of mine set up seven different networking luncheons within a 50 mile radius of her town and then rotated the location throughout the month. She was networking with people every week and helping the people in those areas to connect with each other and do business together. The meetings weren't huge, so everybody got to make a real connection with the other people in the room. And combined, my colleague was getting FaceTime with 100 to 150 people every month and a tasty lunch to boot. So remember to start by brainstorming all the possible offline locations first. Then call the list to eliminate the places that you or your network can't currently reach. So if your sister's book club is 700 miles from where you live, it might be difficult to reach that interior designer's location, but she might know of something local to you. Or you could connect using a video conferencing tool. That's how I met one colleague of mine. She was introduced to me by a mutual friend, but (laughs) she was in the middle of a move at the time. So meeting up was going to be a challenge. Instead, we hopped on Skype and we met virtually. Don't underestimate the power of conferences and events either, even if you're an introvert. If your ideal customers are there, it's worth considering. Again, just like the online world, you may have to make an investment to join an offline group or activity to meet your ideal audience. If the investment is out of your reach, set the location aside for now and then revisit it in the future. But don't expect that everything will be free. If the investment makes sense and your right people are there, it's worth exploring further. Step seven, test the niche. Using your new knowledge of people types and location preferences, practice showing up in those locations and share your messaging as well as your offer. In essence, make the ask. 
lurkers rarely make any money. Believe me, I know. I've sat on the sidelines at many events in wallflower mode. I know that may sound strange coming from an extrovert like me, but it's true. When you're not sure what to say or how to say it, jumping into a conversation, or even starting one, can feel like a game of double dutch jump rope and you've got two left feet. That's why you practice your messaging and start sharing that before you spray everyone with your offers. Show up in these locations and share your values. Remember those things that you identified early in the exercise? (laughs) Start by sharing those values and see if this audience resonates. And when people start saying, yeah, amen, absolutely, then you know you've built some resonance. Then you can start inviting people to connect with you and your offers. Make the ask. Don't just show up and wax philosophical. Okay, these platforms aren't meant to be your soapbox. They're a place to start connections. Then invite them back to your place, your website, a video conference call, etc., to make the connections deeper and ultimately have more raving fans for your work. Be clear about who is ideal for your offering. If you've already got a list of potential people to approach, and I mean specific names and organizations, then sort the list into A and B list candidates. Practice making the offer with your B list contacts and hone your offer before approaching your A list contacts. That's a great way to take the pressure off because the stakes are generally lower with your B-list clients. This is also a useful way to boost your confidence around your offer so that you're not tongue-tied or tripping over yourself if you're making the ask in person. Now, once you've made the ask mm, 10 to 20 times, you're going to have a picture of how that audience perceives your offer. So do this for each of the people types that you've identified to give yourself a clearer metric around who is interested and why, and see if those things line up with what you originally researched. Now this takes time. It doesn't have to take forever, but it's gonna take you a few weeks, maybe a month or more, depending on how often you meet up with this audience. And remember, it takes 15 or so touches before a potential client even has awareness, let alone a desire to buy. So if you're only making an offer a couple of times a year, it's gonna be years before that audience is likely to be ready to buy from you. So take your time and stay consistent. Step eight, massage the niche or the offer. When testing your niche, you want one of two things to happen. People buy it or they show zero interest at all. If you get anything in between, you may not have the right niche. If you get suggestions on how to tweak it or what they'd like to see differently or venomous complaints and praise but no purchase, then you're probably targeting your peers. That's a common mistake creatives make when they're marketing their offers. These folks are full of ideas to improve something, but are not very likely to ever buy from you. Next. If you're not getting any responses at all, it could mean that you've got the wrong audience or that the offer or message needs to be fine-tuned in order to create more resonance. So how do we know which is the case? Well, if an audience shows zero interest, it's the wrong audience for the offer. If they're not interested, they'll probably just not respond at all unless they're family or friends. This can also happen if you're in a group that's just so large that you're getting drowned out by everybody else. So pick a new audience and try again. When you've got more traction in the marketplace, you might be able to come back to this group and have your voice heard. But for now, you need a smaller or at least a different audience that's ready to hear you. If an audience isn't sure it meets their needs, they ask questions. And that's when you know it's your messaging. They don't have clarity enough to make a decision, but they're curious enough to want to know more. 
If an audience can see how your solution meets their needs, they're not apt to offer ways to tweak it because they're ready to buy it and maybe get some relief with their quote unquote problem. So when you've identified a people type that responds favorably to your offering, make sure the offering is profitable and sustainable. Can you continue to deliver on this offering at the asking price in a way that won't suck up all your time? Massage the offering until it's profitable and sustainable, meaning people are willing to invest in your offering in a way that works for you and them for the long term. Congratulations! You've just identified a profitable, sustainable niche for your offering. Feel free to go back and do this again and again for different people types or locations and create a new niche for your offer. This isn't rocket science, but it does take a little time and effort to get clarity. And you can do it this way or the hard way by working with a bunch of pain in the butt clients and getting relatively little to show for it in return. I know what I would prefer to do. So don't just listen to this podcast and nod along. Do the work. Get the clarity that you need to reach the people who want to buy from you. The people who are waiting for you to show up who will say, where have you been all my life? They're out there. You just need to do the work of finding them. And this tool can help you do that. If you want additional support and resources, be sure to jump into the Rising Tide member area and download the Five Wise Worksheet to get you started. Or get extra help inside A-Club. Accountability Club is my private circle of creative entrepreneurs that are working on their own goals and dreams while providing support and encouragement for one another. With quarterly planning sessions and one-on-one coaching support, it's a great way to get the help you need to make your business profitable and sustainable. You can learn more about it at lisarobinyoung.com forward slash a club. If you liked this episode, help us make a bigger impact in the world. Subscribe, share us around with your friends and colleagues, support us on Patreon. Your help makes a difference more than you could ever know. We are one of the fastest growing shows for creative entrepreneurs because of you. Thank you. Next time, we're going to talk about what to do when you've got so many ideas, your head feels like it's going to explode. Yes, chaotic infusions, I'm coming for you. And I hope you'll join me next time. Until then, for more inspiration and education to help you own your dreams without selling your soul, come see what's shaking over at lisarobinyoung.com. You know you want to.